Welcome back to the Lions 24-7 podcast. This is probably one of our uh, least look forward to episodes, at least for our listeners ac- across the board. Penn State dropping their second straight to Michigan State over the weekend, 21-17. Uh, another fourth quarter heartbreaker, another one that got away from Penn State. Uh, it was uh, a tough one. Um, I'm Sean Fitz, obviously, a Lions 24-7 podcast. This is Tyler Donahue joining me. Uh, not ideal, man, not ideal. If the Ohio State loss was devastating, this is perplexing because everything we heard from players, coaches, all week leading up to this was how much sharper they came out of the bye week. The little things were a big deal. Best week of practice or best day of practice Tuesday. And the end result, I've been covering this team for two seasons now, Sean, far less than you. The worst game I've seen Penn State play during that span. Yeah, I think the worst game since Michigan in, in 2016, very fami- uh, very reminiscent of Northwestern in 2015 whenever uh, Grant Haley dropped the pick and Penn State couldn't get the, the first down and then Northwestern came down and beat him at the end. So uh, that seems like a long, long time ago and we haven't seen that that exact formula. We, we've seen the formula, you know, you know the stats with the five losses within 12 points or whatnot. And I, I just, it, that, that none of that matters anymore. I mean, you're, you're trying to compete at an elite level and you can't drop games like this i know james franklin hasn't had a very good record against mark d'antonio and michigan state michigan state a solid team but i mean no way in watching at least you know uh, the first three quarters of that game did you think that 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 michigan state should have walked out of there with a win so um i i just it's a very different feeling than than ohio state a few weeks ago penn state played well enough to win against ohio state deserved it they deserved to lose this week no i don't think there's any question about it And I think when you look at where this Penn State team is right now, you get a lot of takeaways from just being in that media room afterward like we were for, I don't know, 40 minutes or so with with Franklin first and then a a slew of different players. It was not the same emotions that we saw through the Ohio State game. There was frustration. There was anger. But there was also a major overriding theme of motivation after the Ohio State game. You could tell those, those players, Franklin, we're ready to get right back to work and just, you know, kind of prove everyone wrong because they knew that the doubt was creeping up, you know, outside of Beaver Stadium, among fans, on the national uh, media. This time, though, the sense I got, uh, whether it was Trace McSorley or Miles Sanders, there was a defeat to their demeanor. Uh, there was, you know, kind of a, a search for answers that they're all underway with and they're all having a hard time do that and certainly uh, the persona that James Franklin adopted post game uh, was not brash um, it was very measured um, and, and quite frankly it was it was just a stark contrast and I think that kind of tells you uh, there are some question marks kind of surfacing about this team its trajectory they've got to write the ship they don't have another bye week to, to do that they've got six straight Saturdays of Big Ten football and we're going to learn a lot about this team during the second half of the football season yeah really the margin for error pretty much gone I mean Penn State's in a similar situation to its in the last two years there's two losses on the schedule so far but you know what's coming is is tough I mean you never play Indiana all that great Iowa is a team that always has success uh, Michigan Wisconsin and it's a long way until you see Maryland and Rutgers at the end of the schedule so that's tough and and, and you brought up the the best day of practice or whatever. I, I never I never buy into that stuff at, at the time you know it's good to hear I thought it was interesting that it was Trace McSorley that said that not James Franklin uh in the first place but I mean that's that's stuff you know that's that's a lot of talk and this this team you know 
I, I think it was fair to say has underachieved. I don't think you could say that after the Ohio State game. They played up to Ohio State. They played very well um, at times and, and sort of let them get away. Ohio State, a, a more talented team across the board. Michigan State, not so much. So uh, a lot of disappointment. I think a lot of, you know, everybody wants to blame, you know, coaches or players. I think there's there's plenty of blame to go around for, for everyone on this one. And, and when you and you look at after the Ohio State game, I mean, I know a lot of people were very frustrated. The fourth down call at the end, uh, Franklin statements after the game. It was a lightning rod of a situation. But you look at where this team was when they resurfaced last week out of the bye. They're exactly where you'd want to be. Number eight in the country. It was the highest ranking they'd been in the AP poll uh, in 2018. A situation where you look at what happened Saturday. Penn State pulls that game out. They're, what, number six, number five, potentially. And they're just they're building that case as the number one one-loss team in the country. They'd have to go and prove that during the rest of the schedule. But they had it all laid out in front of them, um, and they seemed to embrace that aspect. And, and first it was McSorley talking about Tuesday being the best practice ever. Then it was James Franklin saying that Tuesday was actually, in his opinion, the best practice of his entire coaching tenure at Penn State, which was more than just a double down. Um, and so when you say things like that, and when you talk about great to elite, and Franklin knew this, the double-edged sword is, hey, it can empower your program. Uh, you know, when we look back at, uh, after you win a national championship in a year or two, that's a turning point that people look to. But the other end of that situation is if those aren't fulfilled and you're not seeing you know, the best practice day ever translate into a complete performance in the game or even 75% of a performance in the game, that's when you put yourself in a situation uh, where the adversity ramps up because fairly you're going to have media and fans saying, why did you say all this and then put this in the football field? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's. It, I said it after the game on our boards at Lions twenty four seven. That's that that becomes a hollow statement right there. That you're just not backing up your talk. I'm gonna get to the game real quick. Uh, game balls. Not sure anybody really cares. Uh, got Miles Sanders on offense. He had a couple of big runs. Of course, Penn State struggled to run the ball when they needed to, but but Sanders, you know, overall put up the stat line on the nation's best running defense. Uh, we, we we thought they would get over that thirty four yard mark. Uh, didn't know that it was going to happen on you know a couple runs into the game, but you know for the running game looks solid for a while. Uh, it, I hate to get too much into the game when we're talking about game balls, but you know, you sort of relied on, on that same sort of uh, zone read to start drive five straight drives. Penn state started running the ball and, and sort of ran themselves into the ground and um, not putting that on Miles Sanders or, or Trace McSorley. Um, Trace obviously did, did not have his best game, probably his worst game since uh, I guess Michigan in 2016. I'm sure you can uh, pick apart some more numbers be- be- between there uh, and here, but, uh, yeah, it's just uh, looking around on offense. It's not hard to pick uh, an offensive player of the game, but not for not for good reasons. Miles Sanders is the guy for me as well, and and you know he was really disappointed after the game. But you look at what he did. This is a Michigan State team. We talked about it at length last week. They had surrendered fewer than 140 rushing yards, uh, fewer than 150 rushing yards in their first five games combined. He almost hit that in the first half. I think he had 148 in the first half, somewhere around there. Over, you know, he, he was he was far and away there. 78 yard run, 48 yard run. This is a Michigan State team that haven't hadn't given up a 20 yard run on the entire season entering the matchup. So I'll go with Sanders, but certainly 
Um, you know, what's on his mind after this is, is just wondering if he could have broken a tackle, gained an extra few yards, and put them in a more manageable situation there on the final drive where they were looking to close the door, pick up a first down, and move on to, to five and one in Indiana. That's what he's replaying. I'm sure it's not the, the long runs. It's, it's those final moments when they couldn't get it done on the ground. Yeah, that 78-yard run of a wonderful check by Trace McSorley right before the play. And then that 48-yard run, I think a lot of people have forgotten about it or will forget about it considering the outcome. But that was a, a phenomenal effort there. Defensively, um, you know, the effort across the board, I thought they played well enough to win. Um, it, when you give up 21 points, especially the way that Penn State's offense has played over the last year and a half, and, and you know, that's including the Ricky Ronnie and Joe Moorhead uh, versions, you should be able to win, especially at home. Uh, Garrett Taylor played a, a pretty good game, though. Um, you know, not not th- th- that last play aside, not sure what his uh, assignment was, and I'm not going to th- throw him under the bus for that. But he was there. He had the pick. He had a bunch of tackles. I think he had five pass breakups, which is, is, is pretty ridiculous. And, and if not for Garrett Taylor, you've got a defensive tackle probably catching a touchdown on a fake field goal. So uh, Garrett Taylor gets it. Uh, I think, um, you know, the issues that Penn State had against Ohio State was that defensive line wore down. But I thought the defensive line, once again, played well enough to, to win. Yitor Gross Matos, I think, had a really good game. Uh, again, people probably going to forget about it. Four tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, forced to fumble. Um, he was out there. I thought the defensive ends were, were fairly constant in terms of, uh, you know, getting around Brian Lewerke. Didn't get to him a ton, but, you know, made him make some adjustments and go around. So um, and I think uh, those two guys are probably the ones that stick out in my mind. Yeah, this defense, second straight game in which they, they get into the second half of the fourth quarter and they've only allowed 14 points. That's got to be good enough when you have the offensive personnel, the weaponry, the, the track record that this offense has established uh, during these last two or three years. That's got to be good enough to win these games, especially in Beaver Stadium. Um, obviously, we're going to remember Felton Davis for a long time in, in, in Beaver Stadium. Penn State fans aren't going to want to hear that name again after this week. Uh, but his two games against uh, his last two games shown against this Penn State defense. Uh, and I know I'm going off on a tangent. My guy's Garrett Taylor, by the way. A uh, bunch of pass breakups, interception. I know he wishes he had the second interception. That would have made all the difference. But I do want to really quick address this defense versus Felton Davis. Just an issue. 20 receptions, 281 uh, receiving yards, three touchdowns in these two last games against everyone else in college football, Sean. In 17 other games since the start of 2017, he's averaging four catches for fewer than 60 yards and about half a touchdown a game. So something is really setting him off against this Penn State uh, defensive unit. Yeah, Penn State moved Devin Thomas up the draft board for a lot of uh, teams. He ended up going to Washington and washing out, surprisingly. Um, but uh, it's a similar situation where, I mean, this uh, he can play. And we, we told you that last week. He can definitely play. He could, he could step up in big situations. And apparently most of those big situations come against Penn State. Uh, special teams, I'll go with Blake Gillikin, 45 yards of punt, which, you know, if you're watching the game on Saturday, it seemed, it seemed like he was having an average day, you know, not booming the ball or anything like that. But 45 yards of punt, you'll take that, especially with the issues that they had on special teams. No return game, uh, really. Uh, you know, they got burnt for the the fake punt, um, got burnt for the fake field goal that probably should have been completed. Garrett Taylor made a heck of a play. So looking around at special teams is just like offense. You, you're not really finding the standout player. You're, you're finding the guy that, you know, was probably the, the least disappointing. Yeah, and, and by the way, Jake Pinniger, um, you know, a mixed, mixed, a mixed field goal in a game like this from 37 
makes all the difference. Uh, and, and this is a situation now where dating back to 2017 and Tyler Davis's last year here, they've been right around 50% for, for a year, a season and a half. And that's not good enough uh, to compete for Big Ten Championship to be a, a, a playoff caliber team. I know there's a lot of kicking issues across uh, college football, but uh, it's in their own backyard right now. And Jake Pinniger, you're looking for that consistency. It's not showing up for the freshmen. So I think you're right. You kind of look across the board and say, well, Blake, Blake Gilligan was pretty much Blake Gilligan. I guess he's the guy at special teams, uh, but, you know, didn't see big returns. Uh, you know, Jake Finneger, again, not even able to connect on his first attempt. And, you know, and, and the other myriad of issues, uh, long week ahead, I think, for, for Galliano and uh, for that personnel and special teams. We're going to talk about sharing the blame um, because we talked about that after the game a little bit. Um, everybody wants to heap it on Ricky Ronnie. Everybody wants to heap it on Amani Oriwara or, or or somebody like that. That you know where the, the the key plays were there to be made. But I mean, you just look around and it's just I, I think nobody's immune to it. Not even uh, Trace McSorley. But I mean, it's just a, a lack of execution on both sides is is really what did them in. And I think that that might be a little bit of a cop out to say that. But you know, you've got lack of execution for the, the plays going back to the, the, the fourth and five against Ohio state. And then, you know, you've got plays where the, the read is there, the, the hole is there. And then Penn state just d- does not find it, does not go with it. You've got veteran receivers, not making plays. You've got McSorley who is, you know, hasn't exactly been on target all year, but he hasn't been way off. He's way off. So, I mean, it's a, uh, it, if you're going to go to one side, I mean, do, do you go to the coaches? Do you go to the players? I, I don't even know. And, and, and frankly, it doesn't really matter. I mean, they're, they're four and two right now because they're, because they, they did not execute down the stretch in two games. Yeah. I mean, it was so easy to point to, to Ricky Ronnie, uh, you know, based on that decisive fourth down call against Ohio state, that was glaring. It was right there for everyone to, to scrutinize and speculate on it. But, you know, I thought the overriding theme uh, about the Ohio state game and what happened, there was a lot of, Man, that stinks for Trace McSorley. He had 461 yards. He was unbelievable. Made his Heisman case, and they still lost. This time, Trace McSorley was in the captain's seat of a rudderless ship, and it was apparent that he was not... he was not himself. I, I don't know. He he was out there, and, and I don't know what you know what was going on around him and the conversations on the game plan. But again, he seemed very confident they were on a good path uh, during the practice week, and he was probably the least efficient I've seen him in a Penn State game here since the start of 2017. I know some will say this may have been you know his his worst game. I, I would point to the fact that he didn't throw any interceptions. I think that's important to note. He did have the fumble that ended the first drive. But when you look at this offense. And it's amazing that there's so much focus on the offense. Um, I think we all thought it was going to be the defense in the spotlight throughout, throughout most of the year and when they lost games. But with, with this offense right now, Sean, they had 15 possessions. I'm taking out the, the kneel down at the end of the first half. They had 15 possessions. Eight of those ended with either a three and out punt, a turnover on downs, or a turnover. More than half of their possessions were three and outs or ended with a turnover. We're talking about a team that was averaging 50-plus points through four weeks. Um, what the heck happened? And, and, and that's why it is hard to assign blame. Right. And and that 50, like we said, I said a couple weeks ago, the 
points plus is kind of hollow considering how they got there in terms of uh, of you know for lack of a better term running it up at the end of the games but I mean you're you're three of 14 at home on third down conversions and Michigan State wasn't much better they were five of 19 but I mean you, you you're talking situations where you need guys to step up and this is the biggest takeaway that I had you've got guys um, that, that that should be stepping up I mean, we talked about it all year Juwan Johnson uh, the DeAndre Tompkins guys you know that that have been around that have done some things and and you just can't account for trace having an off day and if that's the case you're in trouble because i mean he's he's going to face some really good defenses in the next few weeks especially looking at that trip to michigan so if he's off nobody else is stepping up the the, the thing that i got was uh, halftime of the game and penn state uh you know did not play a, a, a great first half but they were clearly i think the on top of it in the, the entire first half they were the better team and you were sort of waiting for that gap to come out it seemed like the players were doing the same thing the coaches were doing the same thing you were just waiting for for that break to happen and 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 great teams will will make that break and Penn State certainly did not do that if you've stuck with this podcast long enough out there folks you're willing to hear a little bit more of the dirty details from Saturday um two possessions with a three-point lead in the final five minutes for Penn State those two possessions resulted in seven plays 22 yards two punts and 90 seconds of clock used 90 seconds on two possessions with a three-point lead less than five minutes to go we know that their final possession with that lead uh, ended with Trace McSorley running out of bounds with a minute and a half to go that was obviously startling for a fifth-year senior quarterback uh, to not you know stay in bounds keep the clock churning uh, you know keeps up it keeps a timeout in their back pocket but I think if you look for an Achilles heel of this offensive group right now through the first half of this season last year everyone was fixated on the offensive line and them not being nasty enough and not controlling games right now it is very much the veteran receiver group Uh, the veterans are not getting it done this is the third game in six contests this year where DeAndre Tompkins doesn't register a single reception half the games he hasn't caught a pass in this season Uh, Brandon Polk two catches for 23 yards uh, on two targets. I think that's right about kind of his production the last few weeks. I don't think he's a game changer for them. Uh, Juwan Johnson continues to be an enigma, two catches for 19 yards on three targets. Far cry from any kind of resemblance of really a number two or number one starter in this offense. And once again, it was the first-year players here, the new contributors who've only played five or six college football games that Trace McSorley was looking to. K.J. Hamler, Pat Fryermuth both get seven targets. That's almost half of the 30 targets total. And when you look across the board, first-year players, you throw in Matt Hippenhammer and you throw in Cam Sullivan-Brown, 19 targets, that's 63%, go to first-year players, Sean. Again, guys who have played less than a half of a college football season in huge moments in a close game in the Big Ten, it's all these first-year guys. What happened to what we thought was the safety net for this group, the fail-safe of this group, the veteran. Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think you look back to last year's offense and you, and you think about missing Saquon and missing Gasicki. Well, I, I don't think people realized how much they would miss Deshaun Hamilton because he was that guy that came out and, and got you the big catch. And I think he would have been terrific in this game, you know, running that smash fade, running across the, the, the formation, doing some things. Um, you're just not seeing it this year. And you've got Hamler in the slot. He's a tremendous option, but, you know, not, not as reliable as Hamilton. And, you know, you, you 
you even go back to Chris Godwin, and you just don't see that guy out here. So it's tremendously disappointing so far. Uh, you know, I think that right now these receivers are a far cry from what we saw under Josh Gaddis. Um, you know, maybe a little bit too early in the tenure of David Corley to, to to jump to conclusions. But yeah, there's there's inconsistencies there that are, that are troubling. I don't know about you, Sean, but I didn't hear nearly as much about Deshaun Hamilton and replacing him as I did hear about the efforts of replacing Saquon Barkley and replacing Jason Cabinda um, and replacing Mike Kosicki. I think that speaks to the fact that throughout the offseason, after last year, you're thinking Jawan Johnson's going to make that leap. You're thinking DeAndre Tompkins, who was very effective, very impressive um, uh, with limited targets last year, was going to take a, a, a rise in that category as well. And here we are. Seems like Pat Fryermuth has made people feel a lot better about the tight end spot uh, for for Penn State. Miles Sanders has, has answered a lot of questions in the backfield. Um, things are evolving on defense, and it's just there has not been game to game progression at the receiver position. Um, and you know, we, I think the the most notable thing coming out of the bye is they stuck with that group. Um, and by the end of that game, we saw Cam Sullivan Brown getting some action. Mac, Mac Hippenhammer, uh, you know, played expanded reps. Um, but you know, they were reinvested in in those veterans. The starting lineup looked the same with Polk in there over Tompkins and Tompkins rotating in. But Jawan Johnson, the outright starter again. Um, I know they love these guys. I know they've meant a lot to this locker room. But they're simply not producing for a passing game that is really slipping right now. And it's reflecting very poorly on Trace McSorley's numbers. Uh, I know he'll be the first guy to say throughout the numbers it's about wins. But Sean, through six games, he's completing 54% of his passes. Last year in 13 games, 66.5% completion rating. 12.5 point slip in, in, in completion percentage for this offensive attack with Trace McSorley throwing the ball right now. It's pretty overwhelming. Uh, and in only t- only one game so far this season, he has completed 60% or better of his passes. He did that last year in 10 of 13 games. So, uh, you know, something is not right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of those things where I think it's more confidence in your receivers, and I'm not sure that he has it. We've seen him pull down the ball a little bit more and and, and try to do some things. He's tried to force some some windows, and, you know, he's, he's got a better arm than I think a lot of people will, will give him credit for, but, you know, he's tried to force it in there, and, you know, he's he's played a little bit looser this year, and I think that's, uh, you know, goes, goes to speak about the confidence level he has around him. He won't say it, but, I mean, there's, the, there's guys that haven't stepped up and been there. Um, you know, an, a, another issue you know that's been an issue all season the special teams uh, I don't think there's any question about it Penn State has been caught uh, what for uh, fakes and onside kicks probably four or five times this year and you know they, they've been unsuccessful defending them or being ready for them or whatnot um, Charles Huff now at Mississippi State Phil Galliano was brought in to, to be that guy and you just you, you haven't seen it I mean that's uh it's been a, a huge disappointment I mean you're, you're talking about a team that really owned field position last year really you know, prides itself on, in being field position uh, dwellers, if you will, and they they won it against Michigan State, but they didn't they did not certainly um, you know turn their field position into into a weapon, and that's been a, a disappointment over the last couple of weeks. Ohio State won the punting battle, um, you know, with a phenomenal effort. Don't get me wrong, but you know, Penn State when they're playing from behind, you know, that changes a lot of calls and changes a lot of the offense, and and that's really been a disappointment. 
four days before this matchup with Michigan State, James Franklin uh, invested time during his press conference to list, I think, five or six examples of Michigan State pulling off fake plays on special teams in crucial situations. He referenced them in detail. Uh, he said they will pull a fake anytime time uh, during the course of a game, leading, trailing, doesn't matter. Um, and then after the game, naturally, the, 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 that question came his way. You know, what was up with their ability to convert uh, on the punt, uh, on the fake punt? And then, of course, later it looked like they were in a good position uh, for a defensive lineman to, to come down with a, a touchdown catch. I think they had it all set up. Uh, outstanding play, one of a few for Garrett Taylor in that game to break it up uh, and prevent that from happening. But, you know, James Franklin was at a loss. He said they could not have run uh, their fake, they, you know, the, the preparation for those fakes more uh, often during practice. And then he said, well, I guess they could have, but it, it sounded like they were pretty content with their game plan preparing for these kind of scenarios cropping up against Michigan State. And yet they were still effective. And like we, like we noted during the game, they were very close to pulling off a, a fake field goal uh, and hitting that defensive lineman for a touchdown. It, it was it was pretty well executed. Probably the craziest stat that you know just from watching that game. Michigan State fumbled four times and did not lose a fumble. That's insane when you think about, it, especially playing on the road. You know the turnover battle was even, but when you talk about uh, you know playing in an af- atmosphere like Beaver Stadium when it's even, you know Penn State loses that battle. You know that's a, that you've got to stay on top of those guys. Um, there was some bad luck. Um, you know I'm not going to sit here and batter the officiating, but the, the Robert Windsor defensive holding call was was insane. Um, you, you had some. Other than that, you had some slip-ups, the C.J. Thorpe thing at the, at the goal line. Um, still 100, not 100% sure what, what happened, but you, you can't have that. And, you know, James Franklin uh, you know, admitted as much after the game. Um, but, now nah, it's just a, a lot of bounces not going your way. And, w- and when you're doing that against a solid ball club, you know, we talked, to, talked about this with Appalachian State before the game. They want to keep it close until the fourth quarter, and that's when you can turn it on. Um, that's exactly what happened with Michigan State this week. Yeah, and Franklin said it himself. They had opportunities on Saturday afternoon to put this game away in all three phases of the game, special teams, offense, defense. What what stands out the most was the offense's inability to do so during late stages for a second straight week. Um, but what also stands out, you mentioned there was four fumbles on the ground uh, put put out by Michigan State, uh, you know, Penn State unable to get their hands on that. There were chances where they did have their hands on the football on defense to get interceptions, and everyone's going to focus on Amani or Awarie late in that game, um, and he's going to have to shoulder that f- for this week. It seems like team teammates and players uh, and coachings, they've been very quick to, to rally around him, and you saw it heading off the field Saturday with Franklin's arm around him. Um, you saw it you know, after the game, a lot of guys saying that he's our brother, he's made so many big plays, but they had so many moments in this game, and, and especially – um, on defense where it just felt like if you if you capitalize on one instance you probably salvage that game you probably escape and, and I don't think none of and none of us were going to walk away from that stadium on Saturday and it became apparent about this probably in the second quarter that they were a better team than last time we saw them against the Ohio State Buckeyes but a win alleviates a lot and, and could take a lot of heat off your individual players off you collectively when you pair a performance like that with the loss, hey, boy, oh, boy, does the spotlight get a lot more intense. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it comes down to those players making plays. Felton Davis the third obviously made those plays. Penn State did not. Not going to harp on that too much longer. But now that now the key is keeping it from being a slide. You go to Indiana this week, and we'll talk about that later this week in the in the, in the podcast previewing the game. It's at three thirty on ABC for some reason that I still can't put my finger on. But uh, Indiana got pummeled by Iowa over the weekend. So I mean that's uh, that's something that they're going to be you know licking their wounds coming off of that game. But they always play Penn State tough. I mean, to, to me, the key, you just got to get your feet under. You got to get Trace McSorley in a rhythm and you got to reach out and see where your combinations are. I mean, I, I, I love Fryermuth. I, I think Miles Sanders is, is far and away your number one back, um, but you've got to get some weapons out in the outside. If that means playing some guys in different spots, moving them around, um, you know, get, just finding the matchup with KJ Hamler. When's the last time we saw KJ Hamler go on, you know, uh, you know go in motion and, and take a handoff or something like that. And I'm not, I'm not a proponent of the jet sweep or anything like that uh that brings back some awful memories but i mean it's just uh you want to see a little bit more and then you know at the end of the game and i don't know that penn state's going to be in a situation that they were this week or or two weeks ago but you know use your passing game a little bit uh you know i was watching the patriots last night they certainly did not uh feel that they had to sit on a lead and and get away you know get away from it they turned to gronkowski i think you can do a similar thing with friar muth he's established excuse me, has established himself as maybe the, the most consistent uh, guy that you have to move the chain. So, you know, go to that go to that route. I think, you know, you hate to say it, a lot's going to be learned from this, but uh, they got to turn it around very quickly for a, a tricky game in, in, in Bloomington. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, ju- we'll jump into this game and, and preview with more context later in the week, but but just uh, an early look, Sean. I mean, they've, they've got an experienced quarterback in Peyton Ramsey. He's been through Big Ten battles, so you're not going to be facing, uh, you know, a new face to the conference who isn't really prepared for the setting um, and he's having a nice year 68 percent completion percentage 12 touchdowns he does have seven interceptions but I thought it was interesting just kind of reading through and, and running through some of their production this year uh, they have four players with at least 20 receptions on the season does Indiana uh, Penn State does not have any players who have hit the 20 catch mark uh, here through the first half of the season. So different kind of uh, distribution within that offensive attack. They're going to look to use a lot of guys. And, and I think right now, as strange as it is, we head into the first game of, of the, the second half of the season uh, with all these questions about the offense. We think the defense is trending in the right direction, but you're starting to wonder, will this, will this team ever get itself on the same page and all the facets in time to, to produce a, a successful season. And I think there's no doubt about it. If this team finishes eight and four, it's not going to be viewed as a success. I, I think by, by any standards, um, you know, obviously Penn state has the ability. They've shown it where they could potentially run the table, but after what we saw against Michigan state, uh, you can't count on that. That's for sure. You got to go at Michigan. They're playing very well. Wisconsin, one of the better teams in college football, regardless of what happened on Saturday night. Um, Iowa's tough, and and at this point, you can't take anything for granted. So, yeah, I think we're going to learn pretty early in this game where the team's head is. Uh, I think there's just a danger of of self-doubt beginning to creep in and and taking over the persona of that locker room. They got it. Pause on that. The leaders got to be leaders, and I think some new guys – got to step up and emerge as leaders because there is appears to be a slight vacuum there coming off a 2017 roster that had a bunch of guys who had been through terrible times at Penn State 
great times at Penn State and could lead by example. Re- recruiting, decent weekend for Penn State. Um, it, it was Julian Fleming was back. We talked a lot about him last week. We're not going to spend too much time other than Penn State, I think, is still in a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal spot for him. Uh, Derek Davis back on campus, 2021 safety out of Gateway. Uh, Penn State made a, a very good impact early. He's probably going to be a safety. Could be an outside linebacker in the next level, dominating high school player, um, You know, having a really good season at Gateway this year. Penn State offered Aaron Lewis out of South Jersey. Um, it, this is a kid that, uh, you know, everybody that's got his film has offered the kid. So this he can continue to blow up. Uh, I, I think he's unrated by 24-7 sports off the top of my head. Um, but this is a kid that, that, that will certainly be one to watch. Great frame, 6'5", 230 defensive end. And, you know, so, sort of those uh, those regional guys that come out during their junior year. He's certainly one of them. Um, and I'm just kind of going random fire here. Uh, Penn State got a, a walk-on commit from Denver Light. And I never really, you know, give the time of day to the walk-on guys and apologize to them. But at the same time, there's a kid that had the 21st best um, spark score among linebackers in the country. It is an underrated pickup. I mean, this is this is a guy that's, you know, on, on that Brandon Smith, Jan Johnson mold. He's a, he's a Division One athlete by the numbers, uh, you know, plays at Tyrone. So, the, the, you know, the competition isn't, uh, you know, all, all, all that great. But at the same time, was committed to Fordham, solid FCS commit. You're getting him for nothing. I think that's a, a, a good, really good pickup for Penn yeah, State. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Denver Light, I, I think that's one of those examples of how you do build up a, a scout team that keeps you in check and prepares you for uh, real football. And then this is a guy who obviously he's not coming to campus next year thinking, I'm going to put in four great years in the scout team and move on. He's going to get to campus uh, like a lot of these preferred walk-ons and say, I'm going to go, I'm going to kick butt, I'm going to take somebody's job, I'm going to earn a scholarship while I'm there. So uh, interesting there, interesting pickup. Uh, I thought it was also – uh, another 2021 player coming on the board as, as we go with the rapid fire theme. Um, Penn State extending one down in Georgia uh, on Friday afternoon. Um, that one, oh, shoot. Sean, I had the name in front of me. Now I don't have it. Oh, Kamar Wilcoxon. Uh, he's a guy out of Stone Mountain, Georgia. Uh, top 100 recruit, 2021 prospect. Alabama has offered him. So uh, actually planning on catching up with him at some point this week uh, if our schedules meet up in that. So maybe some more on him. Looks like a national guy in the 2021 classes they build long term. Um, and and by the way, there was some positive news if we want to get into it, Sean, on the recruiting trail. It wasn't all bad this weekend on the football field. Uh, some future Penn State quarterbacks impressed. Yeah, Michael Johnson and Taquan Roberson still, you know, both have had injuries this season. Roberson had the ankle. Uh, Johnson missed the first couple of games. But, you know, these guys are, are, are showing they can do it. I think Johnson, you know, still has a ways to go as a passer, but continues to take these little steps. And Roberson, you know, you, you're going to look at him. He's he's six foot probably on a good day. Um, you know, he's, he's not the four or five guy that Johnson is. He's not the, the, the big time athlete, but strong, strong arm, accurate kid. And, and, and both are putting together really good seasons. I think, you know, you don't, uh, and I've said this before, you don't really need complimenting quarterbacks, but these two do it pretty well. Give you the stats from the latest games because they both did put out good performances. Taquan Roberson against Hudson Catholic in a victory. Four touchdown tosses, no interceptions the past couple weeks. Nine touchdowns through the air. No turnovers through the air. James Franklin was uh, there on the sideline to watch him a couple weeks ago. Uh, on the season now, Roberson, 25 total scores, four interceptions. And then getting to Michael Johnson, fourth game out of five he's played in this season, Sean, where he goes over 100 as a passer and 100 as a runner. He ran for 148 and a touchdown. He threw for 118 and two scores. And for him in five games, 16 total touchdowns and one interception. So, 
going to be a competitive uh, quarterback uh, room for the next uh, few years. We know that next year uh, that starting job is going to be up for grabs for the first time in a while. Tommy Stevens, Sean Clifford, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are anticipating a, a pretty uh, compelling matchup there. Tommy Stevens, because of his longevity in the in the room, he's he's viewed as that guy. But Clifford will push him, and then these two guys throw in Will Levis, who looked really good on the scout team. It's a really evolving, interesting group, and and it's got the kind of talent you want out there. I watched Will Levis throw to Justin Shorter after practice on Wednesday. That kid's got a freaking rocket, man. I mean, he's he when the the ball just jumps out of his hand, and you know he he could probably use a little bit more touch at times, but he's just uh, got a really strong arm. Uh, not much to, to to go on beyond that, um, aside from you know bringing it up that Michael Johnson seems like he's primed for that backup lion spot next year. Um, if there is a backup lion next year, there was no lion against Michigan State. There was a lion introduced on the big board before the game. Got a nice little ovation. There was no lion on the field. I think they probably should have brought that out, but you know, I don't want to bring the two hot takes into here. Um, anyway, we've gone over thirty-five minutes. Uh, we're a little bit crunched for time today. We'll be back later this week to talk about Indiana, uh, maybe a little bit more recruiting and get into things. But uh, if you've made it this long with us, congratulations! Uh, because I know this is, like I said, this is probably the one that people have looked forward to the least. Numbers, I assume, will be down on this one. But we thank you for sticking with us nearly thirty-six minutes. I'm Sean Fitz. That's That's Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you later this week. Mm